Hi, welcome to the Two Lads podcast from Daniel Sharman and Leggy Langdon's Two Lads. The Two Lads podcast is a place to come and listen to topics that you may not have heard men talk about so candidly and intimately before. It's no bullshit, it's straight to the point, it's raw and it's honest. In a world of ongoing turmoil and constant change, take a break for 30 minutes and just come listen to the two lads in a deeply vulnerable conversation that is ongoing. I'm on this whole thing about love in the fact that we're all humans, right? And so we're all here in this consciousness trying to fucking make sense of it all. And so in a way, I'm trying to love everyone. It seems to me stages to this. One is you grow up and you think somebody is meant to come in and complete me. Then the next stage is to be disappointed with people not completing you. The next stage is to realize that it is you and you are the common denominator. And then the next stage is to realize that you are that love factory, you're your own love factory. There's something in that person, that, that in that mentalness, whatever they're doing, there's something in that that's you and that you're attracted to because you see it's familiar. What do you, other than the romantic love, what do you love? You. Hey. Hey, your charmer. <laughs> Hi, I'm Christian Leggy Langdon. Hi, everybody. My name is Daniel Sharman, and this is the Two Lads Podcast. Today's episode is on the small topic of love. Daniel and I discuss the dangerous expectations of love as depicted in Hollywood movies and the media. We discuss codependency and what that shows up like in real-world situations. We also discuss fear around letting a lover in after the self-love fortress has been built and the difficult challenge of trying to find the right balance between passion, attraction, and compatibility. Stay tuned for this ongoing conversation on love. Let's get into it. This is what I want to start it with, which is to say that, for me, the idea of love coming from romantic movies, I have seen recently how difficult to accept those are and also how non-realistic they are. And that that is the thing that's being pumped out to the world. And people are now expecting that as to be the only way of receiving or giving love. Yeah, I feel like that's been, I mean, that's like the Disney thing, isn't it? Of this idea of happily ever after, right? The message of the one. Well, the, the message of the one and this idea of you complete me. Right. Which I think is a very dangerous... Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a very dangerous road and a very popular... That's all we know. Yeah. That's what the society, especially the Western society, has been fed that message of you get someone and then your life can is complete. You feel better when someone's with you. My thing with this is I totally see that and I, I've lived it. Like, oh, I couldn't ever imagine what it would be like to just be alone. But then I struggle with, we've talked about this before, which is the more that you give yourself love and you're a self-sufficient love island, not to be confused with temptation island, <laughs> how no. much more, what do you need from a person? You know what I'm saying? I've never experienced that yet. I'm yet to experience what it looks like when someone comes in that's an addition to where you're at. There's, it seems to me, stages to this. One is you grow up and you think somebody is meant to come in 
and complete me. Then the next stage is to be disappointed with people not completing you and then taking it out on either them or yourself. Yeah. The next stage is to realize that it is you and you are the common denominator. And then the next stage is to realize that you are that love factory. You're your own love factory. Mm-hmm. I hear that there is another stage, which is <laughs> that then it's an addition, as you say, and you're able to be in a whole self and the addition doesn't feel like it's an, out of need, but out of uh, a genuine connection to each other. Yeah. Those seem like pretty obvious stages. And I feel like the world is, as a society, we're only kind of really looking at the first two. Yeah. Do you feel like you've been in love? I know I've been in codependence. Yeah. And yes, I've felt love. It's hard for me to distinguish that from what is need because in some way I, I don't I feel like I'm yeah. in the process in one of those stages what producing. is your what is love then baby don't hurt me what? <laughs> as Hadaway said what is love to you what do you think it is I think it's deep trust I want to say and without sounding too trust deep yeah. trust yeah I, I'm like my thing now is love is without expectation mm. it's like love is one way so if I love somebody, I love them without any expectation in return to be loved back from them. And then within that, you have to be responsible for if you love someone that is feeling unsafe to you or whatever, my responsibility is to like create a boundary within that so that I'm not in the firing line of that person, but I can still love them. I have a problem with like unconditional love, but then at the same time, I'm currently working through that of like, love true love is just it's flowing it's it's flowing all the time have you experienced unconditional love or do you think that is even feasible i think that it's on you that you know what i'm saying i think that my work is getting closer and closer to unconditional love towards myself there's a very common thing in these kind of self-help circles which is you can't love someone until you love yourself right what does that mean to you? Yeah, so this one's always been a bit of a weird question. It's much, it's clearer to me now, but I always was like, what does that mean? What does love in yourself mean as it looks like boots on the ground? So I, I've learned that through kind of really dumb practical things, essentially, or not dumb, but simple offerings that I would do for someone else. I do it for me, like going for dinner on my own was one when taking myself out to dinner going for a massage, putting myself in a safe space if I'm feeling unsafe, knowing what that is for me and then putting myself in it or taking myself out of a situation when I'm not safe. So it's like practical ways to show love to myself without without question. That's the other thing. It's like I'm doing this so that I can feel safe in this moment. I don't care what you think. It's pretty brutal. Very brutal. Yeah. And lonely. It's very lonely. It's solitude. I think that's where I'm at at the moment is how do you allow people in to the fortress of self-love or not allow them in, but like how do you add to what you have from yourself, right? And and not be like a sociopath of just like, there's no, there's no feeling here. You're just here. But it doesn't really matter whether you're here or not because I'm already sorted. <laughs> you know what I mean? I think it's more about that trust thing to go back to the trust. I look at self-love now and I think if you can 
wake up at three in the morning alone and you're okay with you at three in the morning being alone, I look at that as a way of saying that's when your brain can do the most crazy shit to yourself. And if you can sit there and go, I'm okay. Yeah. I'm in control of this ship. Then to trust that somebody can come in and has their own ship sorted, yeah. that takes that takes time. I don't think there are many people that are like that. So most relationships I think are either codependent or they're in the anxious loop of trying to get something out of somebody. Yeah. And I think that's the majority of relationships. Yeah, I think fear drives people getting into relationships. Fear of being alone or just being over being alone. And you just go, you know what? This is available. I'm going to do it. And it feels good. There's a kind of coziness to it that can feel good. But the buy-in, the cost of that can be quite high in the long run. I mean, my experience of getting a partner and feeling this sense of stability, for example, in this society, doing that, having a long-term partner, getting married, all these kinds of things in the name of love is really, it's looked highly upon. It's easier to live in society if you buy into that. It's, it's promoted. promoted. And, I, and I think love addiction is really promoted as a, as a tool to say, if you feel this, these butterflies, if you, everything is on online, everything is incredibly passionate yeah. in the first three months, all of those things, and it's not love. Yeah. The other thing that I've learned is attraction and compatibility. Two different things. <laughs> Generally, if they don't seem to learn that the way. hard way, ladies and gentlemen. But really, I mean, that's, that is a f- head fuck, man. It's really hard because that's what I'm saying. If When it's promoted, what you're actually promoting in those movies, the romantic movies, is the initial lust attraction yeah. loop. Yeah. They don't carry on. It doesn't carry on. <laughs> the credits always, roll. Yeah, I want to always want to take a movie from the end point where they come running at the airport, right? Yeah. And then play it like three months later when they absolutely hate <laughs> yeah, each other. Yeah. And I think that's important. That's yeah, an important yeah. story because that is what, they're the just fantasy. arguing in the whole in the movie. Yeah, That's just, just, fantasy, just arguing over the laundry. <laughs> yeah, and then shit stains in his pants. <laughs> what? Sorry, personal thing. Um, it sounds like a right lad. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're at a stage where we can see that that doesn't work. Yeah, yeah. I don't know what the new model looks like because the new model sounds really boring because it doesn't hit upon some of your deep-rooted trauma, which is I need to have somebody see me. Yeah. I think that like the the goal to me is like in this journey of healing, I hope that as you do more healing, it just realigns your compass of what you get attracted to. I I mean, that's my hope. (laughs) It's like that forever we're going to be just attracted to the crazy people yeah. and the ideal partners for us don't fire off any of that stuff. That's depressing to me. I just, I it's think, really depressing. Yeah, I just think that what's what's up with that is the calibration of the self. So I'm saying the theory is when you recalibrate through your own self analysis and through the work and through the understanding of why you are the way you are. If you heal and mend and accept yourself and accept all full spectrum of yourself, you're then going to pivot in what is attractive to you, ultimately. You attract what 
yeah. you need in your life to learn the lessons. You also attract, I think this is an important thing to say, which I've discovered is you, you attract the level you're at. There's no point yeah. in blaming the other person and they're saying, oh, they're mental. Yeah, They're absolutely mental. It's like, that's where you're at. In order to be in that relationship, yeah. you have the same degree. It may not be the same psychosis, but you have the same degree yeah. of trauma. Otherwise, you wouldn't be. Otherwise, you wouldn't be in it. Exactly. You wouldn't you, accept it. You wouldn't be attracted to it, and you would not need it. In There's your something life. in that person that that in that mentalness, whatever they're doing. There's something in that that's you, and that you're attracted to because you see it's familiar. That's the thing. The familiarity of the dysfunctions are what we attach to. And it's from your own family origin stuff and what you learned subconsciously in your environment as you grew up. That's what's making you who you are that then sends you on your mission. I was talking to a friend about this the other day around like why you're attracted to what you're attracted to. For me, it's like the opposite of my mum is what I find sexually attractive. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> It was about to take a turn. Yeah, but there's also the the mother aspects that you are attracted to that your mother gave you. The ba- and so then that's the Madonna whore battle. I was reading a thing yesterday that said that you're attracted to the quality that you couldn't achieve in one of your parents. So the thing that you couldn't get to or that they were lacking, that is the thing that you're attracted to. You know, my mom was kind of emotional, very kind of closed person. Yeah. And that's my, that to me is, it feels like attraction to get somebody like that to become emotional. Right. And I realized that I'm hugely codependent in that I'm not attracted to people who are just emotionally available. Yeah. And able to meet me. I don't find it ticks all these traumatic boxes that make me feel like. Because it's not familiar. You don't recognize it. Yeah, and it doesn't feel real. Right. For me. Right. It doesn't feel real. Yeah, I was more like, my. I got trained to be a love addict, essentially, and like desperate for validation all the time. Desperate for being taken seriously, being heard, all that stuff. So when I've been with a woman, they've validated parts of me, whether it be my physical attraction or if I'm like cool or talented or there's some need for me to be part of this relationship, even if it's just physically celebrated because I'm attractive or something. That's good enough. That was good enough for me. Oh, wow, you think that, really? Especially when it's like me being taken seriously and me being seen. It was massive for me because I, I just didn't think I was, I didn't feel seen ever when I was a kid. I just felt like so I was... So you accepted any version of that? Yeah. If I was taken seriously, if I'm taken seriously by a woman... It's like very potent for me because I'm the youngest of three siblings. And so I was always seen as the baby and I was all like shouting and screaming to be taken seriously, to be like asked what I think, what's my opinion on this, on the matter. But it was never, it never came. It was always like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Or just discounted. And I'd be like, just, you know, so I went out in the world being like, I'm going to be a leader always. If I can't be a leader at home, I'll be a leader everywhere else except home. And so I'll find people that will buy into my bullshit, (laughs) basically. (laughs) The cost of that is finding people where the bar is pretty low in terms they just have to see you or, or pretend to see you. Yeah, or I actually, I will, 
in order for that to occur, I'll become what I need to become so that the person will accept me. And I think that's pretty common for really, for people who are able to be chameleons. They know the buttons to press. Yeah. I feel like I, I know the buttons to press and I can play up certain things. Yeah. Mainly for me, it's being taken care of. Right. Yep. Because I didn't feel that in any way. Yeah. You didn't feel taken care of? No, I didn't feel like some, like you, that there was anybody who's really just checking. Right. So, because I was very kind of So you weren't smothered? You were No, 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 no. I mean, my my mum... Were you? Right. So you were enmeshed. Yeah. That's quite interesting because that produces, I think, two different paths afterwards. Yeah. Mine being that... I think it goes because it's, it's an emotionality to it that feels grasping. It feels desperate yeah. for me. Right. Whereas I, I watch your version of it and it doesn't feel desperate. Right. It actually just feels, hey, just look at this. Yeah. But I think it's important to know which one of those you are and to, to realize that essentially it's helped by the same thing, which is going back into self. Yeah. And that's also why like you can kind of, you come up with these weird ways of managing those dysfunctions i would get into relationships with a woman that was mothering and like would supply me with the safety feeling and the the love but then i would also then go and have sex with other people yeah because you couldn't yeah marry those two couldn't bring it together because it was just mother which doesn't evoke sexual desire and then lover separately which doesn't take care of your emotional yeah. needs. And so I've danced between the two. Sometimes I'm dating a, a lover and then it's chaos, but it's very passionate. Or I'm in safety mothering and there's no sex. There's no passion. That's, that's been my historic experience with relationships. Start from the start. It's been one or the other, basically. So I'm hoping that's now going to be something that doesn't occur based on what I've learn especially as i've been alone for a couple of years and this is the first time i've been single it's since i've since 16 i've never been single for two years straight so i, I think it's interesting because you're now describing a period of time where meeting somebody the process of the bar is really high at the moment f- yeah for you and for me but i think it takes time something that i i'm so impatient that i want to something very quickly i want to have somebody fulfill all those needs very quickly and actually in order to get trust i think you need to over a long period of time need to know how that person can accept what they can see yeah it's like collecting data to see by just chipping away slow it all down and just kind of experience a person and how you interact with them and what you feel and then when you say this what happened what do they how do they respond it's all this stuff what do you, other than the romantic love, what do you love? You. Hey. Hey, old charmer. <laughs> he knows how to do it. He knows how to do ladies and lads. Hey, that's, how. <laughs> that's why he's a winner in a relationship. I, I mean, I'm on this like whole thing about love in the fact that we're all humans, right? And so we're all here in this consciousness trying to fucking make sense of it all. And so... In a way, I'm trying to love everyone. And what I mean by that is that I think it's around acceptance. Loving is acceptance of what is and going into 
well, they're, they're in their journey. They're on their healing journey. And so it, I don't know if it requires doing things like getting people roses and shit and like all these gestures. I think it's just an internal thing. So I, I tend to, at the moment, I'm like fighting for the perceived perpetrator. I'm always find myself on the side of not condoning behavior that is abusive or anything like that or like out of alignment with the way that we live in society i don't condone that and i believe in accountability for atrocities that you may cause someone but i also at the same time when i hear about something going bad or something goes wrong and a person's involved in doing it i'm always like wondering what the conditions were in their life to lead them there i'm a big believer that we i almost want to say 100 percent, but I can't put a percentage on it, but we are mostly a result of our conditions, our environmental conditions of what what we grew up in and all that. That's what makes us who we are. It's why we do the things we do. It's why when someone says the word apples, someone runs out the room screaming, you know. It's extreme. Thing. Well, whatever. Like, it's all learned. Is so, that anyone ever done that to you in your life? No, I just use it as an <laughs> example that's non-triggering. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm still not fully dialed with this because I do also believe that there are kind of fundamental truths to the universe. And I'd use an example of when a plane flies in the sky, that's, a tr- that's truth in operation. Meaning science, there's things in science that are true until they're not. Laws. Yeah, laws of the universe, that kind of thing. It's like when math and science is working, the plane flies. When it's not true, the plane crashes. The plane doesn't fly. Very simple. Not scientifically proven or anything, but I, that's how I see it. When things are working, there's, there's, they're, they're adhering to the laws of, uni- of the universe, they're in flow. And so at the core of these truths of who we are on the planet, of like the baseline stuff, that I believe in all of that as a truth. And it's not all made up. It's not relative. I don't see it all as relative. I don't like relativism. Like it's a, the, the, there are laws that govern the possibility of what it is to live, love, exist. Yeah, I think like biology, for example, is like... There's truth in biology. If you're going to be operating on a body, right, you have to know the workings of the body. And so if the body's not a truth in what it is, how do you know how to operate on it? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, why does that make you... What's that in relative... What are you you making a point about there? (laughs) I'm just going off on one about truth. Yeah, I mean, there are fundamental truths, but do you think there are fundamental moral truths? There is right and there is wrong. That's tricky because... Yeah, that, like we were looking at philosophy on moral and ethics. Yeah. And I'm, yeah. I'm interested by it. Yeah, it's, it's a tricky one that. I think it's more around like, for me, the line is as long as you're not hurting anybody, then I don't care what you do. Well, okay. So to take that, right? The, yeah. The example used is you either have the trolley car problem or the, the person in a boat, yeah, a Oop. shipwreck... There are 10 people in a, in a boat that need to survive on no food. One of the sailors was sick. Yeah. One of the, and they killed him and they ate him. Yeah. Otherwise, all the rest of them would have died. Right. Yeah. My story is a slight variant on that, but yeah. But, you know, they're yeah, the same. Yeah. It's, the same for, it's the same kind yeah. of. Yeah. When is it okay area. to do that? Right. Yeah. 
No, I'm all about it. But but I'm asking you, like, that inflicts on that person. Yeah. Is it wrong? Uh, it's gotten into philosophy. Hang on a minute, I thought we were talking about love. It's all about loving the I love the that sailor. guy that you ate. Yeah. Why did you eat him? Well, someone did. Yeah. But, you know, if it was a group decision and he was, he, he was, he, <laughs> was he, was he? But of course they're going to vote him off, aren't they? Well, I mean. He was injured. I okay. think the case was he was injured. Uh, my, my version of that is there's nine pregnant women. And one, oh and this is nine pregnant women. Like, just taking us into the old day. <laughs> Cancel culture. No, no, there's one man <laughs> and nine pregnant women, right? God, he's, he's unlucky, isn't he? Yeah. So, who, and the boat's sinking. Jesus. And it won't sink if you throw one person overboard. You throw him over. Well, do you? Because what if all those women give birth to more women? And that's the end of the world. But it's another person. There are more people there. Yeah. Possible. It's tricky though because, I'm sorry, for the caveat is there's no one else in the world. Except for this. That's a very different. (laughs) (laughs) I love these things that just, oh, and by the way, there's no other humans in there. And they're all really hungry. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Two Lads podcast. This conversation is ongoing and it involves all of us together. So we'd love to hear from you. Let us know if there's a subject that you'd like us to talk about and let us know what you think about the conversation so far. The Two Lads podcast is available wherever you listen to podcasts. So please don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss the latest episode and give us a five star review. Tell your friends about us. All that stuff really helps us a lot. We really appreciate it. Sending you all love until the next time. Yes, lad. Yes, lad.